It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. We set our souls to seek you today. Lord, one thing that we delight to understand and believe is that when we search for you, we will find you when we seek you with all our heart. And Lord, that when we knock, the door will be opened. And when we seek, we will find. When we ask, it will be given. Lord, I ask that you would give us more of yourself today that we would see you more clearly, that we would be emboldened to do, to act, to live, that we would be empowered to do so, that we would not reach into our own pockets for the strength and for the ability, but that we would go to our God, to the throne room of grace, and we would access that which is required to live the impossible life. Lord, we love you and submit to you this morning. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask these things. Amen. All right. Welcome to the Saturday edition uh, of Daily Thunder. It's usually, if you look at our schedule online, it's usually a special guest is uh, Saturday. So I'm the special guest today. Uh, (laughs) Sort of fun being a special guest uh, for Daily Thunder. But uh, for those of you that are going to be streaming or for those of you that will be listening to this on podcast later, uh, we are just starting, we had a session last night, but just starting a fatherhood conference. So I have a course called Honorable Manhood uh, that uh, we had 72 men this fall go through with me. It's extremely powerful uh, training uh, process for specifically fathers and sons, but technically you could just be a man and be thoroughly engrossed by it uh, because that's what it is. It's just study of manhood and the formation of manhood. And so at the conclusion of that, uh, we have quite a few of the men that are uh, here uh, for a conference this weekend. Uh, so we have a, it's a little different uh, cover slide for Daily Thunder. Uh, for some of the women in here, they're sort of like, excuse me, but that's, I don't feel like I identify. It's this guy with this beard uh, on the front, looks very manly. He's sort of staring off, you know, with resolution in his eyes, like, I'm going to take that thing out. Uh, so... But, uh, which is, uh, that's a good picture of what it means to be a father there. It's watchfulness, intensity, uh, uh, caring, love. So here's a more uh, normal slide for us. This one's called the, this Daily Thunder is called The Role of the Man. And uh, since it is Daily Thunder, which is a general thing, right? So we have women in here. But, and so this could feel rather exclusive to the men in here, but since there's a theme in the air, I'm going to at least address it. And I don't think anyone is going to be offended because technically if you want to break this down, uh, if you capitalize that, uh, that word man and make it really extra large in the font size, you're going to start getting the idea of what the role of the man is because it's truly the role of the man and it's Jesus. Jesus is known as the man. He's the second man. He is the last Adam. He's the one that did it right. One of my ways that I've looked at the Garden of Eden is, you know, Eve comes up to Adam, and I don't know if any of you have ever struggled with the fact that Adam just seems to fall to pieces in that moment. There's no description of what he does, he just, other than the fact that he eats the fruit. It's like at least 
put up an argument, like a defense, like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this. Instead, he just eats the fruit too. And so one of the, the ways that I've looked at it is what if Adam had behaved as the last Adam? In other words, the right Adam. He hadn't fallen to pieces, but what should he have done? Because we know he did what he shouldn't have done, but what should he have done? And so I've sort of played that out in my mind of Eve coming up with the fruits and then uh, Adam looking and saying, Eve, that's not, that's, and she goes, Adam, God was holding back on us. He didn't tell it. Eve, you've eaten the fruit. Adam, the serpent said, you talk to the serpent? You listen to the serpent over God? Adam, I'm seeing things I've never seen before. Eve. And then Eve says, Adam. And then Adam keeps backing up. Eve. Adam. Okay, you could play it out in your mind. But then Adam keeps backing up and he's horrified because he knows what this means. He knows what the word of God says. The day in which you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And then he backs into God. And it's one of those moments, it's rather terrifying for Adam. Adam, what's going on? Uh, of course, we know God knows, but he always seems to ask questions like that, right? <laughs> Adam, my wife ate of the, the fruit. She must die. God, I, I know what your word says, and I know that the day in which she eats, she must die, and the penalty for such a thing is death. I understand that. But is there any other way? Long pause for dramatic effect. You can die for her. And so what you see is what I'm drawing out with that is the role of the man. The role of the man is to take the hit that is rightfully even deserved maybe somewhere else. But he says, I'll take it. And there's something so noble about it. Like even as I share the story, all of us sort of rise up in our seat. We grow three feet taller. We're like, yeah, because we're wired for it. And that's why when we see the man movies, you know, which are very pitiful next to the grand picture of manhood. But if you've ever seen one of those man movies, it just is like, <laughs> it stirs you because you are wired for it. But when you actually hear the tale of Jesus, and when you see his response to our weakness, to his bride's failure, you see the man. And so you begin to understand the role at a whole other level. So the role of the man, understanding the magnificent call, the disappearance of the faithful man. So the faithful man has perished from the earth. Well, that doesn't so sound good. Who can find a faithful man? I mean, obviously they're not very common because we can't even figure out where to find one. The faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Oh, no. If you run to and fro through the streets and can find a man, anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, then I will pardon Jerusalem. Uh, I mean, all we need to do is find one of these guys, and yet we can't. We're running through the streets, and we can just find one who executes judgment and seeks the truth. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? You know, we've all heard these little statements scattered throughout the Bible, but we really don't ever think to apply them to ourselves, who can find a faithful man? So what does that mean? Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? So obviously, a man who is faithful is not one who's proclaiming his own goodness. So we at least see a little contrast in trying to uncover what a faithful man is. 
The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Okay, we want that, guys. We want to be that righteous man who walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. But the statement before it, most men will proclaim each his own goodness. Hey, I'm a perfectly fine man. I'm a perfectly fine father. Hey, look, I got my act together. I'm better than Chuck down the street. If your name is Chuck, you always need to forgive me. Chuck is always my illustration of the guy down the street. But most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Faithful. So let's break up the word faithful in two parts. Faith and full. So faith, the assurance that God is, he is able, he is truth, he is faithful. Faith that we have is in the fact that God is full of the ability to match it. So what we lean on God, he's able to respond with the ability to undergird it. We can put all our weight on and do we believe he can hold it up? What if we put even more weight on? What about more? God says, throw it on. I can hold it. And we believe him. So we stick all of our life, all of our eternity on God and he can hold it up. Faith. So faith is the assurance that God is. So God's actual proper name, if you could say it this way, is I am. I am that I am. That's his proper name. And so we don't say it that way. We say he is. He is that he is. So do you believe that he is? And you're like, what does that mean? He was, he is, and he always will be the same. You need to recognize that when you study scripture, you are discovering a God who will not and cannot change. So therefore, you can stick your confidence in him because he is not altered. If any of you are mathematicians, you know that two plus two still equals four. It doesn't matter how someone feels about it. It just is. It's a fact. Well, so is God. He cannot change. I remember asking someone, so do you believe that God can lie? And they said, sure, God can do anything he wants. No, no. I know that sounds noble to say that God can do anything he wants, but there's something he cannot do. He cannot change. He cannot alter who he is. He is who he is, and therefore who he reveals himself to be, he will always be. And he is truth. And in him is no lie. So therefore, it is impossible for God to lie. So you can sound noble by saying, oh, God can do whatever he wants. He's God. But he actually can't violate his nature, which is why faith makes sense. Faith can set its confidence in a God who is, who will not ever change. And he is able. If he says he can do it, guys, he is able to do it. He is truth. There is no lie in him. He is faithful. If you put your faith in him, he'll uphold it. So now we're going to say full. So faith, full. Filled to the brim and overflowing, stuffed to the edges without room for anything else. He's full of it. Okay, so we are looking for something. God's searching to and fro throughout the earth, and he's looking for a faithful man. A man who is filled to the brim with faith. If you could say it that way. We know that there's more nuance to faithful. However, that's, that's a good starting point. So faith plus full, a man who is filled to the brim and overflowing with faith. What faith is not? It's not wishy-washy. It's not passive. It's not neutral. It's not unimpassioned. It's not wobbly need. It's not undecided. It's not distracted. It's not lacking in confidence. So what I just described was most men on earth. Okay, so when we're talking about the role of the man. We're looking for a faithful man. 
And yet what we've got is something altogether different than a faithful man. We have the wishy-washy, passive, neutral, unimpassioned, wobbly, need, undecided, distracted, lacking in confidence men of this age. The three facets to faith. So these are three I want you to hold on to. So I know I didn't give you notes for this. Uh, well, no, you did. Some of the guys that are here, you guys got notes for this. That's a rare thing for a Daily Thunder, by the way. So all the students, did you guys get them too? Oh, look at the students are like, what? I got robbed. <laughs> Decidedness, loyalty, and ardor. These are three, what I'm calling three facets to faith. Decidedness. This is critical in your soul. That when you are functioning in the action of faith. Faith is an action. It's not just, which is why we, we describe it as believe. So faith, let me say it this way. Faith is a noun, but to believe is the action of faith, which is why we must believe in the Lord Jesus. It is an action. It is a doing. And so it's decidedness, assured, convinced, resolute, confident, decided, singular in focus, all in. So I remember this, it was a Moody Science video. I forgot what the guy's name was, but uh, I wish I could remember his name. But uh, he, described, he was describing faith, and he said, it's sort of like this chair. And do you believe that this chair is built correctly and that it can hold you up? Uh, sure. Well, then sit in it. You see, the sitting in it is the proving that you trust it, because not many of us are going to sit in something we think is going to fall to pieces. Uh, Bruce Olson, who was a missionary to the Modalone Indians, uh, down in South America, I forgot which country that was, Colombia, is it, is anyone remember what that was, Colombia? And he was, they didn't have a word for faith in the language down there, and so he was trying to articulate what faith was. They lived in this common house, it's really strange for a tribal people, but they lived in this common house, and they hung their hammocks from the top rafters. And so this is how he described faith. He said it's like taking the strings of your soul like a hammock and tying it to Jesus Christ and then laying down in it. It's trusting Jesus with your life. So decidedness, loyalty, true to the covenant, immovable from position, unwilling to veer away, even for a moment, adamantly standing firm. You see, there's going to be so many things that test your decidedness, test your faith. And when you are tested, how quickly do you move off of center? It's like, well, maybe I should question what I've put my confidence in. You see, loyalty is, no, I'm standing with God. And then the world around you is like, how could you believe God when this is happening? How could you trust God if this is happening in your life? Look at your bank account. It's empty. Look at your health. You're weak. I trust my God. You see, I am loyal to him. I'm not loyal to circumstances. I don't follow them. I follow him and his word. And I don't care if Lazarus is still in the grave. I know that my Jesus has promised that this sickness will not end in death. You know how hard that is when he's been dead four days and he's wrapped in, in cloths and lying in a tomb? That's pretty difficult, isn't it? But that's Christianity. Christianity is resolute to believe even when the natural realm is mocking it. No, I, I'm loyal to the truth. Are you that much of an idiot that you would totally disregard the fact that Lazarus is in a grave? Jesus has spoken. He said this sickness will not end in death. I'm siding with him. Ardor. Passionate to defend. Hot-tempered towards all that would endanger. Aggressive and hostile toward all that may threaten the covenant bond. So 
one of the things that we talked about last night uh, with, with the men was the fact that there is a time to be sweet and there's a time to be sour, if you want to say it that way. As a man, we, know, we need to know when to draw the cup of cool water and when to draw the sword. And we can't mix them up. A lot of us have drawn the sword when we need to be drawing the cup of cool water. And we've harmed our wife and our children just because we didn't do it right. We were backwards in our orientation. And so ardor, if we were to look at this, is it's a hotness. It's a white-forked lightning decision to say no to the enemy. No, not on my watch. You are not creeping into my life. You're not creeping into my home. You're not creeping into my family. You're not creeping into the church. And so as a result, our faith is resolute. It is solid. It is strong. We are loyal to the truth. We are decided and we are firm. So what you see me unpacking for you is a faithful man. Who can find a faithful man? The state of man. It's not, not pretty, guys. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that does good, no, not one. That's Psalm 14.3. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that does good, no, not one. Psalm 53.3. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good, no, not one. Romans 3.12. Now that's quoting basically the same thing over and over again, but it, it comes up four times in Scripture. And one thing you can know about Scripture is Scripture never wastes one word. And if it says something twice, whoa, guys, you just got an underline. If it says something three times, you've got a few exclamation marks. If it says something four times, it's bold and highlighted. Do you understand the state of man? It's not, not good. We need a Savior. So the faith of the Son of God, this is an interesting thing because as I begin to bring up this faithful man thing, most of us just sort of feel unfaithful. It, what it does, and this is not a bad thing, and it, it's just that I can't leave you there. You see, the truth of Jesus is not meant to just leave us in a heap on the side of the road, destitute of, in our own ability to do things. The gospel of Jesus Christ wants to come to us in our real state of where we're really at but we need to know where we're really at so it can take us to where he is. And so unless we know where we're really at, like for instance, if we don't know we're sick, then we won't receive the physician's help. No, no, I don't need help from you. Uh, I, I'm fine. I, I'm not sick. No, you need to know that you're sick. So then, then the physician's work actually is appreciated. Well, thank you. Please help me. I'm sick. This is a very interesting concept in Scripture, and that is that we lack in something called faith. We don't naturally have it. It is a gift of God. God has to establish this inside of us. Where does it come from? It comes from him. He has faith. I know that sounds strange, but he has faith. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, nor by the works of the law shall no, nor for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
One of the things that's been helpful for me in my development in faith is to recognize that I need what he has. That I don't need to drum up what I need, but that I receive at every level what he has. So what he has is what I need. And so over here in a first condition where I'm hearing the fact that, oh, I'm destitute, I have no hope in this world, I'm a sinner, I'm deserving of a just condemnation. You know, that's sort of a, a bad uh, situation and it's called bad news. But what's good news? You see, Jesus Christ is not asking me in this condition to rise up and to live a supernatural life. And yet it sure does sound like it because if you read the word of God, what are you gonna hear? You need to be perfect. You need to be righteous. You see, what he's doing is he's showcasing to me because he knows what I'm going to try and do. He knows I'm going to try and do it. He's going to say, how are you doing over there in your first condition? I can't do it. He goes, hmm, that's an interesting quagmire, a conundrum you're in there, Eric. God, I want to please you. I want to live this life. You see, what we need to discuss, Eric, is the gospel. You need to recognize that I have done the work for you. There is something that you are unable to do, and that's the work of God but you are only saved by the work of God. So therefore you're trying in with the work of man to do the work of God. So what you need to do is by faith, enter in and trust me to do the work for you. And so what's interesting is even the working, even the gift of faith to first see our need is something that he is doing. So we cherish the fact that it's God that works salvation. God that is doing this amazing work in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. Who can find a faithful man? So I'm just going to get right down to it. The faithful man. His name is Jesus Christ. You see, we feel indicted because we're trying to rise up and be the faithful man. And there's nothing wrong with the desire to be the faithful man. You should desire to be the faithful man. However, the secret to being the faithful man is to recognize that he's actually the faithful man. You see, the secret to being a faithful man is Jesus. He is the man that we've been looking for, running through the streets to find, and then one day he came. The faithful man is finally here. So the faithful man. Now this is talking about you. Now if you're a woman, you can appropriate it the same way. The faithful woman. But it's the child of the faithful man, Jesus Christ. You see, when you are born again, you are born again and put into Christ. You are in the faithful man. Now in the faithful man, you have access under the throne room of grace. Where you may find mercy and grace for help in time of need. Have you ever run into a time of need? Yeah, I have. It's called life. Every moment of life. And guess what? You have access to all the treasury of grace. Everything that is required for life and godliness, you have. So what if you were to come to God today and say, God, I want to be a faithful man. Do you think he's going to say, I don't know that I have the resource for that. He has everything you need for life and godliness. And we can say it simply. He has everything you need to be a faithful man. And if you're a woman listening in, he has everything you need to be a faithful woman. That's exciting, guys, because when we see this, we're like, oh, 
I want that. But we dig in our own pockets. We're like, God, I, I want to muster this for you because we love God. We, we esteem him. We want to praise him with our life. But the way we show him honor is by entering him. There's a, an illustration I've given during a semester of training here at Ellerslie, and it's, it's a basketball illustration. And if you don't like basketball, it's still pretty easy to understand. But so there's two sides to the court. So we have this side of the court and this side. So there's, uh, but there's a hoop that is, uh, let's put it really high, like uh, 10 million miles high, just to make my point. Okay, so the hoop is 10 million miles high. And the law states that you must make a swish with every one of your shots. Okay, now I made it so high just in case, because I could see it. If I made 100, 100 feet high, some of you would still be like, I could still do that. However, I made it, what was it, 10 million miles high? Just so that all of you could immediately just know. Okay, there's no way you could do it, especially get a swish every time. Because if you don't get a swish every time, you're not perfect. And if you're not perfect, you have no business being with God. Okay, so you can understand why this would be a little daunting. And so many of us will still come over here and loft it up and throw up our best efforts. And this is, on this side of the court is law. Okay, and the law is making it clear. You have to make a swish. And if you don't, there's a just condemnation. Because it's only people that make perfect swishes uh, that, are en that can enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we have one who has come and made the perfect swish, okay, with his life. Everything he did was swish, 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 swish. However, he had a secret. And when he came to this earth, he didn't live on this side of the court. He lived on this side. He lived in the power of the Spirit of God. You see, which is something that we were disconnected from in the Garden of Eden. So as a result, when he came, he was conceived of by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't of the lineage of Adam in that sense. He wasn't born of the fleshly nature, he was born of the spirit nature, and he's God in the flesh, God in a man's body, showing us how a man ought to live. And so he didn't live in accordance with his own natural ability, he lived by the power of God, which is on this side of the court. It's really cool, but on this side of the court, there's this little suction system, it's like this uh, cool machine over here, it goes, and it's sucking, like a vacuum, right? And you just need to take your ball and set it in the vacuum system, it goes, whew, and it's like this tube system, whew, and it pulls the ball up, 10 million miles, I guess, since that's how, it's a long tube, and then brings it over, this is all in an instant, and then drops it perfectly dead center every time in the middle of that hoop. Swish. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, here you are trying to do it in your own strength, but actually, it's only accomplished in his strength. It's his way. There is a way to the Father, there's a way to the swish, guys. And it's not by you attempting, it's by him doing. He's the one that built this. This is what he's given us access to through his shed blood on the cross, to the Holy Spirit life, to the life that is able to do what it could not do in its own strength. So who is the faithful man? It's the man who has exchanged out confidence or faith in his own strength, goodness, talent, righteousness, wit, or willpower, and has placed his confidence, faith, entirely in God Almighty. No more is he in the service of his own personal interests and agenda, but now he is wholly given to the service of God's interests in this earth. This man now lives by the faith of the Son of God, and therefore is assured, convinced, resolute, confident, decided, singular in focus, and all in. He is true to the covenant, immovable from position, unwilling to veer away, even for a moment, and adamantly standing firm. And he is passionate to defend, hot-tempered towards all that would endanger, and aggressive and hostile toward all that may threaten the covenant bond. So how do we get into this mode of living? Well, there's our door, humility. We're going to call it the starting line of great manhood. 
And ironically, it's the exact opposite place that most of us start. The reason you know, that a lot of times we'll do things is because of our pride. We want to be better. We want to be more significant in the age in which we live. We want people to respect us. But in actuality, the way to enter into this kingdom is through humility. I've oftentimes likened uh, the kingdom of heaven to being uh, behind a, a wall of ivory. And so, and at first you're thinking, well, it's, I can get through that wall somehow. I mean, but the kingdom of heaven is over here, you're over here. And there's this wall of ivory. And so some of you are like, well, I'll just scale it. I'll just climb up the wall. Well, did I tell you that it goes 10 million miles up? I mean, 10 million is my number of the morning. And then so you're like, well, I'll just go around the right side. It's just a wall, right? Well, did I tell you that it spans 10 million miles uh, this way to the east? Well, then I'll just go to the west. Oh, did I tell you that it spans 10 million miles to the west too? Uh, and, and then you're like, you get out your shovel. I'll just dig underneath. Did I tell you that it goes 10 million miles into the earth? And you're like, wow, that's a big earth. <laughs> you see, it's an impassable barrier. You, no matter how hard you try and conspire, cannot get past this barrier. Oh, did I not tell you there is a little hole right where the earth meets the ivory wall and it's just big enough that if you strip everything off, all, everything that you are, and you humble yourself and get on your face that you can wiggle through, mm-hmm. that's how you enter. You enter through humility. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Most of us today are aspiring and attempting to gain a higher position in people's eyes. We want people to esteem us, but the key to being a great man is to take the lowest seat and let God call you up. It's interesting because that's the gospel right there. Jesus took the lowest seat and then was called up to the highest place. He modeled the man. And he says, this is how it's done. He became obedient to death on a cross, appearing to be a criminal, stripped naked, mocked, and we think we're higher. In other words, if we're going to follow his path, we're willing to look like idiots to this world. We're willing to go as low as God wants to take us because that's how you become a great man. You're not esteeming your own reputation. You're esteeming his. I've oftentimes described manhood as being this, like, white stallion this rippling with muscle and it's fire breathing and see there's a destination it's called manhood out there and you know the only way to get there is to ride this stallion and so you throw your leg up over the side and go charge and you get thrown off because i mean this is one powerful beast you have no idea what you're trying to ride here and so you get thrown off there's that pile of manure over there that you spent a good deal of your life in and yet depends on what sort of man you are. Are you going to just take it? Some people just give up right there. They get the vision, they get bucked off, and then they give up. It's like, oh, you can't live out manhood. You can't live out this grand picture. But there's some that grit their teeth. They look back at that stallion, they go, I don't know how to ride you, but I'm going to figure it out. And so time and again, they'll be bucked off. And this is where many of you might even be today, where you've been bucked off, but you're serious about this. You want the real thing. And even though you keep getting into that pile of mud or manure and you keep brushing yourself off going, God, I want to ride this. I'm going to give you the secret right now. I know you've been going through all that difficulty in here. All you had to do is come to this weekend conference and I'll give you the secret. (laughs) There's only one that can ride that stallion. The stallion, by the way, has a name and his name is righteousness, perfect righteousness. And you're trying to pull it off in your own ability, but that's your problem. You see, there's one man who has tamed 
perfect righteousness and that has brought it under harness and his name is Jesus Christ. If you will humble yourself and get up into his lap and let him ride it for you, you'll get to that destination. You know why most men struggle at that point? It's because we don't want to have to get up into his lap. It's like, come on, I can do this. Yeah, and there's your problem. It's pride. It's when you finally can acknowledge it can be done, but not by you. It's done by him. Not just 2,000 years ago, but today. He wants to do it in you. But you need to humble yourself and say, okay, you do the writing for me. And when you do that, you will get to that destination. When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he, would, he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Before honor is humility. Before being lifted up at the table, before being lifted up, just think about the whole kingdom of heaven pattern. Jesus comes down and shows how a man functions. He takes the lowest place. He takes the humble position. Then he's honored. We, we just want to change the rules here. I don't want to have to humble myself. You don't humble yourself. You don't become a great man. Humility comes before honor. The high calling. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So he has an entire resistance system. That wall of ivory will remain for anyone who is proud. I can do this. I can scale it. I can go around it. I can go underneath it. No, you can't. You'll be resisted by the wall. But anyone who will humble themselves will receive grace because they can enter. God gives grace to the humble. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So there's this high calling. But the way that we gain it is by being in Christ, not by our own achievement. And so when we humble ourselves and say, God, I can't in my own natural ability pull off grand masculinity, but I know that you can. And we humble ourselves and we fix ourselves to him is the carrying device. I know you can carry me there. I'm going to climb into your lap. He has been exalted to the highest place. And as I just read, and he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How did you get there? It wasn't by your great works. It was by his great work and you humbling yourself to enter into it. This is the principle of the kingdom of heaven. And now God, as you see in Ephesians 3.10, wants to reveal to the Invisible realms, the heavenly realms, the manifold wisdom of God in and through those that humble themselves, those that would believe upon Jesus Christ. So this is also talking about that high calling. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We've been invited in to a high place. It's just extraordinary. So what is this high calling? What do we need this grace for? So Ephesians 4 says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect 
man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is something God is desiring to do in us. And that's not just that he places a, a blanket of acceptance and forgiveness over our lives, but that he actually wants to take this raw material known as a man, transform it, and reveal to the heavenly realms who God is through us. That is amazing. And so there is a constant working of grace that when we remain humble, and when, we've, when we set our lives before him and say, you must do the work, Lord Jesus, then we are being built into a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Well, that's a pretty high calling there. So this is being done until Christ is seen perfectly, fully, and clearly. That's also known as the glory of God. So God has a design, and that is to reveal himself in and through, I know, brace yourselves, us. This is our high calling, is to literally be seated with him in heavenly places, in the throne room of grace where we have access, unlimited access to everything that is needed in this life. So what's interesting is when you're born again, your body is still here. Haven't you ever wondered, why, God, why don't you just take me home? Your body's still here. Where's his body? There. However, there's an exchange. That's what Hudson Taylor called it, the missionary to China. He said that's the exchange life. You see, you have a new man that is raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus. But that new creature, that new man that has new eyes, new mouth, new, new mind, the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ that beats with his burdens, is seated in heavenly places. It's secure and nothing can separate that new man from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you. And yet, your old body's down here. New man is up there. And so what's the great secret of Christianity is that his Holy Spirit, your spirit, man, there, in his body, his spirit inside of you, your old body. And that's how Christianity functions. You see, you have access to the unlimited grace reservoir in heaven. All the treasury, everything you need for life and godliness. And as a result, his spirit is the chief grace that is given to you so that this body can now function, even though it's old and dying. That this body can be a carrier of the grace of God, the glory of God, can be revealed in and through the words you speak, the way you handle your eyes, the way you handle your facial expressions, the way you walk, where you go throughout your day, what you spend your time on, the world can actually behold the kingdom of heaven. So glory, the word is doxa in the Greek, seeing something in its truest state, its fullest, most ac correct, accurate portrayal of itself. The beauty, the magnificence, the grandeur, the splendor of an object resulting in awe, praise, and honor. So we have these sliding I don't know what you call those blinds uh, on, the, on the windows, which are important in the afternoon. You'll find that out if you're ever in here. It's like the sun starts, whew, comes right in. Uh, and yet, we gotta have a beautiful view. I have a great shot right here of this incredible mountain scene over there. However, imagine that we close the blinds and we have an inch open. Okay, this is how most of us are engaged in life down here. We can see a little, but we don't see in full. And so what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through his work in our life to have us see, but also through our life to reveal, 
he's revealing a greater and greater measure of glory. But when those blinds pull fully back, or maybe all the wall falls over, and we actually see without any hindrance, without any blockage, the grand picture. See, it's still there. The glory of God is there whether we can see it or not. But we have limited eyesight. We have limited view. And so what's happening by the Holy Spirit as he reveals himself to us is what I knew last year. Have you ever felt this? What I knew last year seems so small to what I know now. And yet it's the same truth. Same scripture, in fact, that changed me last year is now deeper. How did that work? Well, it's like the blinds went, hook. It's like, I, oh, whoa, I can see a swan out there now. I couldn't see the swan before. There's a swan out there. Same lake, same view, same property, but more. And that's exactly what is happening. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's the glory of God being revealed. And we are glory carriers so that this world can see more of God by watching us be changed, by actually seeing our behavior. The magnificent call. It's given to those who take the lowest seat. Come up higher. Isn't that amazing? You take the low seat, you take the humble seat, come up higher, dear friend. Where are you going to take me? Into the very throne room of grace. Well, I don't deserve to go there. I know, but the one you are clothed in does. And you are his guest of honor. And so because you have put your faith in him, if you have humbled yourself, come up higher to a higher seat. What seat are you going to give me? Well, it's the best seat in the house at the right hand of majesty in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you humbled yourself and believed and put your trust in him. He is calling you to a higher seat. Oh, just amazing. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. For God has called us unto his kingdom and glory. He has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. He has called us to glory and virtue. He has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So therefore, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How in the world are you going to live this life out? I could wax eloquent about how grand and glorious this calling is, and it just overwhelms the natural man. The natural man just stares and actually starts to get blank-faced after a while. It's like, yeah, yeah, uh, I can't do it anyways. I couldn't even do the first thing on your list, so you might as well start, stop talking. However, when you see the life of Christ and you recognize, no, he wants you to live that. And then this natural man says, but I can't live that. But do you believe that he can live that? In you? Well, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah, does he want to? Does God actually want to call this his home? Does God want to humble himself and condescend to make my body his dwelling place? You know the answer to that. That is astounding because he loves you but also desires to use you to reveal the glory. The purpose of a man to reveal the glory of God. That's a very simple enunciation of it, the role of a man to uniquely reveal the glory of God in his assigned jurisdiction. That's his place of authority. And so when he's a boy, his place of authority is his own body, his mind. He doesn't have a lot of authority over other things. But then as he becomes a man, he gains greater authority. Leadership positions, husbandhood, fatherhood. 
These are jurisdictions through which God desires to reveal himself. Of course, there's other, I mean, leadership can encompass a lot of things, like in the church and in business and the civil sphere. However, these are the areas that God actually desires to use a man to reveal his glory. The return of the faithful man. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. So let's look at this when we talk about the faithful man. Now, I am going to raise the bar, and I'm going to make such grandiose statements here that if you listen to this with natural man ears, you'll just tune out because I, I can't do any of that. I know you can't do it, but I know who can. One of the great statements of Christianity is this. Listen closely. I can't, but he can. See, it doesn't end with I can't. I can't is a defeated word and it just leaves you with nothing in life if you stop there. That's why most people living in the natural man say, never say you can. No, you can't. You can, you can do all sorts of things. You can qualify for the Olympic Games and win the gold, potentially. Okay, There's things that a man can do, but spiritual things, things that gain honor in the kingdom of heaven, that showcase the glory of God, you cannot do. All the things that we have a weight and a desire to pursue are the things, ironically, we can't do. We need him to do them. So I can't, but he can. The leader so what, what are we looking for, guys? What is the faithful leader? The leader who is ever believing, ever confident in God's salvation. The leader who is ever immovable. The leader who is ever calm, ever fearless. The leader who is ever joyful. The leader who is ever pure. The leader who is ever truthful, ever trustworthy, ever a promise keeper. The leader who is ever diligent, ever hardworking. The leader who is ever guarded with his tongue. Boy, that sounds a little different than the leadership we have in our country right now. I mean, we literally have gone in the exact opposite direction. What we esteem is very different than what the kingdom of heaven is built by and it built of. The husband, the husband who is ever understanding, handling his wife's heart as delicate and fragile. The husband who is ever responsible. The husband who is ever thoughtful. The husband who is ever giving. The husband who is ever faithful. The husband who is ever forgiving. The husband who is ever defending. The father. The father who is ever consistent, the father who is ever patient, the father who is ever persevering, preserving of his children's dignity, the father who is ever pointing to Christ, the father who is ever imparting, the father who is ever on duty, the man, the man who is ever the happy to suffer, the man who is ever advocating for the weak, the man who is ever speaking truth, the man who is ever pouring out his strength, the man who is ever courageous, the man who is ever honorable, the man who is ever ready, the man who is ever manly, the man who is ever Jesus. See, now what I just went through is so vast, I know, and especially with the word ever in the front of it, but that's why I put it there on purpose, to let you know there's an ivory wall. You see, you look at that, you're like, I could do that. If I just made one of those things, it's like the man who is ever manly. If I just said the man who is manly, it's like, I could be manly, ever manly. And then I describe manliness, and you're like, oh boy. You see, this is an impossible list. It's an ivory wall, but there is a means by which you can access it. But you must humble yourself. You must take the lowest seat. You must enter into Christ by faith and let him do the working for you. You must open up the door of your home and say, Jesus, I need you to move in and I need you to take over. If I do this in my own ability, I will fail. But if you do it, you cannot fail. You will in fact succeed. 
do it, Lord. So what is the role of the man? To die daily that Christ may live. To disappear daily that Christ may be seen. To empty self daily that Christ may fill him fully. To pick up his cross daily that the power of Christ's Christ may be declared in this earth. To forsake his own personal glory daily that the glory of Christ Jesus might be manifest. To forsake the building of his own kingdom daily that the kingdom of Jesus Christ may be established. To take the lowest place daily that Jesus Christ may always hold the preeminence in all things. Oh, and one final thing. A man is to be a bearer of the image of Jesus Christ, a clear portrayal of his glory, ever immovable, ever calm, ever fearless, ever joyful, ever pure, ever truthful, ever trustworthy, ever a promise keeper, ever diligent, ever hardworking, ever guarded with his tongue, ever understanding, ever responsible, ever thoughtful, ever giving, ever faithful, ever forgiving, ever defending, ever consistent, ever patient, ever preserving of the dignity of others, ever pointing to Christ, ever imparting, ever, ever on duty, ever the happy to suffer, ever advocating for the weak, ever speaking truth, ever pouring out his strength, ever courageous, ever honorable, ever ready, ever manly, and ever a picture of Jesus. By the power of Jesus Christ working in him. First things first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I know that's talking about like what you wear, where, where you're living, and you know, your shelter and food. But you know what? It's a kingdom principle. You seek first Jesus. Jesus, I want you. I don't care what it costs me. You purchase this, you deserve it, have it. You make him your priority. And guess what? He'll add the other stuff. You don't need to whip it up. He'll add it if you are seeking him. Father, give us the vision. And may we recognize that the only way to ride that fire-snorting stallion is to humble ourselves and allow you to ride him for us. You have broken him to harness. You have done the work. Lord, we cherish the fact that you are able even where we fall short. Lord, thank you for being our savior. And thank you for being the model man. Lord, do your working in us. It's in the precious name that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.